Hey, good morning. My name is Chad Puckett. I'm one of the pastors here. I get to serve in Yukon and, and love this place. I've got to fix this a little bit for my uh, habits. I'll probably kick it over if I had it st- sitting like that. But uh, I just want to be another in a long line of voices who say welcome, and we're glad you're here today. It is not lost on us that you could be all over the place. You could be at home sleeping right now. And we're just thankful to see you. We're thankful to get to walk with you. And if I haven't had the chance to meet you, I I absolutely would love to. We love sitting down, coffee, lunch, something, and and just sharing those stories back and forth. Where we're at today is that we're in the midst of a a study on Mark. We're looking at the book of Mark. We're trying to take a long, uh, just a long study at at how Jesus is presented through this book of Mark. And and it's really important for us because what we often get are just caricatures of who Jesus is. And, And what Mark is saying is that this king has come and everything changes. And so today we, we're kind of looking at it through uh, a, a specific filter because we're going to have three stories and, and we got a little bit of a glimpse of those stories or, or something that's happening in each of those stories, just what we just read. Uh, but what we have is are, are three stories that center around two kind of uh, activities. And maybe you've heard of these activities, maybe you're familiar and you have some history with them, but those activities are fasting, where we would, the idea of fasting is that we would stop, we'd stop eating for a specific period of time so that we would pray. And the idea is that we would stop and that we would find our satisfaction in Jesus and that we would pray instead of eat. And that might sound really foreign to you or it might sound really familiar, but that's happening in one of these accounts. And then there are two stories on here in which it talks about the Sabbath. This is happening on the Sabbath, which in, in this day and in this time and this people was the holy day. And what would happen on the Sabbath, we, we kind of sometimes use this term term in, in our kind of Judeo-Christian area of the world. We talk about the Sabbath of this day of like, oh, that's, that's like the day where some of the shops are closed. Well, it's more than that. Like the Sabbath in the Bible is this holy day where everything kind of stopped to focus and worship on God. Sabbath being rest. We're looking at rest in this. And this, this morning, I think, is actually something a little different than just talking about, hey, you should Sabbath or you should fast or, or how are we going to do those things? I actually want to draw our attention to something that might be a little bit more particular and ask us to step into that. Because if we're, if we're approaching fasting and we're approaching Sabbath from the wrong perspective, what we find ourselves in is real danger and it's exhausting. It's exhausting for us. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. I want you to pray for me. And we're just going to ask God to lead us and to help us understand and to say, God, help us to see and not just come to this as people who have heard all these stories before. So God, we need you. We thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you that we, we can come in freedom and, uh, to worship you. And we, we, we to- so often take that for granted. I also thank you, God, that we can look at your text and your word and, and even, even stories and terms that, that might seem familiar. And I ask God that you'd help us to see it with fresh eyes and experience you with fresh grace today. And so meet us, God. Do your work heal in areas that, that need your touch. 
bring conviction in areas that, that need your refining. And, and God, I, I pray that you would redeem us and work in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to take a risk real fast. I want to just kind of uh, take a risk and assume uh, something. Uh, and so this may or may not be uh, part of it, but I, I do want to take just a second and, and make an assumption about you and that in some ways you are like me, though I, 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 just, I, I just submit to you that I'm probably uh, worse in some real dark areas. So uh, I'll just lay that out there and maybe you can find in my ab- absurd uh, fallout of how I live this way uh, that you might have some things that resonate in you. We play games in our house a lot. We're game people. We're, we're, I grew up with sports, but we, we play games. Uh, it's almost like any free time, any time, type of downtime where we're playing cards or something. It's just almost ever present. And I have this sick need inside me to win at all costs at all times. It's like, it's, it's truly bad. And if my girls beat me, it bothers me. It doesn't matter what it is. When they were small and, and like my older two played basketball, we would get out in the backyard and we we're teaching them how to do that. And then we'd kind of play around. And like, I would just beat that stuff. Like, they just get, like they're just gonna have to learn. And my wife's like, you're gonna let them win, right? And I'm like, nope, they gotta learn. Life's hard, life's hard. It just happens in all sorts of things. In fact, like full confession, we have a game that we play at our house in which uh, because of reasons of merit and reasons of dark places in my heart, I, I demand that the girls call it dad is the best. That's the name of the game. Like everyone in the house knows what we're playing. We're playing this game. It's called dad's the best. And I'm always like, hey, what's that game called? Yeah, you know. You know what it is. It's, it's like, it's a revealer of really dark parts of my life. And, and the, the confession is that, like, I probably am maybe, if I were to be real honest, maybe slightly too competitive for my own good. That manifests in more than just board games. Manifests in more than just cards. It manifests in, in all sorts of areas of our life. And, and I'm guessing that my, while yours might not be as gross or show up in the same way, maybe you have areas in which, which you're trying to win to validate yourself in certain ways. And we see this. We see this in all of life. There's actually a phrase that has become popular. It's, it's not new in how it applies in our lives, but it is new in terms of our lexicon and how we use things. We talk about gamification and everything gets gamified. So we, we're in this moment where it's like the gamification of life. And we do this in all sorts of ways in different places. Recently, there was an article in Entrepreneurship Magazine, which I don't know who reads magazines anyway, but I found it online. And Entrepreneurship Magazine ran this article called Gamify Your Life and Become Massively Successful. That's the idea. If you just figure out how to get more gold coins and more things and more accomplishments and more stuff, you will become massively successful. Lifehacker magazine uh, ran this article with this graphic on it, which pretty much sums up all of life, right? It's like, if we can just kind of gobble up everything in our path, then we'll win and we'll get on the scoreboard. We'll be at the top of the scoreboard and that will make me feel better. Lifehacker magazine had this title, creative, because it's exactly like entrepreneurship magazine, but it adds a colon and a second part. Gamify your life, colon, a guide to incentivizing everything. 
Listen, full confession, that is a massive trap for me. For me. Incentivize everything. This morning we have three stories of people trying to come to God through a scoreboard and through accomplishments and trying to gamify everything with God. And I think, while they wouldn't have used this term, I think that we probably do a lot of the same things. And and my fear is that if all we did was stand up here and say, here's how you fast, I know what my own heart would do. And I know how my own heart would handle that. Here's how we should Sabbath, and here's how you would have a day of your week in which you'd rest. I know that the dark places of my heart would turn that into a competition without even intending to, in which I would try to show God how good I am because I did this better than someone else. You see, the problem is life Life isn't a game to outmaneuver or to kind of angle into things or to outstrategize and hope the cards go in our, our favor. It's not any of those things. The book of Mark actually makes a, a startling claim, this like life-altering claim that we can't avoid. It's not just Mark, it's throughout the whole Bible, but Mark makes this really clear. It says, God, the king of all creation, the king of kings has come and that changes everything. You see, all of us have to deal with this claim that the Bible makes, that this king has come. All of us have to claim with it, and there's no way to outgame and outmaneuver, outdo God. There's no way to angle ourselves out of that. But it's easy. It's easy in the like sinful, prideful fog of competition in life, just going through the motions of life. It's, it's so easy for me to get twisted and lose sight of it where, where we really start believing to some extent. We start believing our own hype. We start believing the own, our own kind of like internal scoreboard. And we start thinking like, yeah, dad really is the best. Now I'd lay out there that that we know we're not. We, there's a disconnect. We, we try to project that to people, but we know we're not. And, and that's where this problem comes. I, I want you to hear how one historian kind of puts the reality of who we are in the world that we live in. Notice how he says this. How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human? That's that's describing this king who has come, this God who has entered this world through a baby, this Jesus, that the hurricane, this hurricane has become human, that fire has become flesh, that life itself became life and walked in our midst. Christianity either means that, it either means that or it means nothing. It's either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world or it is a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. You see, most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those things, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. Oh, man. Like, hear that. Like, God is either real, he is who he says he is, or it's all just play acting. (laughs) But most of us are in this kind of fog of this in-between. 
where you just kind of go through the motions and keep trying to scoreboard up and try to try to gamify life and, and hope that at the end, like we have a score that gets us in. And, and that is exhausting. <laughs> It's exhausting to live that way. It's exhausting to try to uh, figure out all the things that you, you should do. It's exhausting to try to keep up and then to make, make sure that your scoreboard is higher and, and high enough and all these things. And my, my prayer this morning for us is to move from that in-between and ask Jesus to help us see this much more beautiful story, this much more life-giving and engaging story that he's given us in which a king has come and he changes everything. Okay, so uh, step with me, look at this with me. We've got three stories. We're gonna jump into the first two real quick and then we're gonna kinda zero in on the third one and see it. But each of these stories around fasting and prayer revolve kind of around a thread. They, they have a thread that ties all of it together. And when you think about those two things and what they have in common, fasting and Sabbath, what they, what they have in common is a yielding. With fasting, you yield food. With Sabbath, you yield work. And, and there's a yielding. And what that, what that also implies is a resting in there. There's a resting and a, and a stopping in this. There's also what is a, a, a central piece of both of these is trust. There's a trusting of God. And where those things are absent, then we're, we're off base on why we're doing things or, or what's going on. And so it's right here in those three things that we understand why this story of Jesus and what he's done is actually called good news. And why it matters for our everyday lives and not just on a Sunday morning at a certain time uh, in that. It, it actually matters for so much more. And it's in the yielding and in the resting and in the trusting that we actually see the beauty. So let's look at these together. Mark chapter 2, verse 18. It says this. Now John's disciples... And the Pharisees were fasting. John the disciple, or I mean, John the Baptist and his disciples, and then this group called the Pharisees, they're fasting. And people came and said to him, they, they came to Jesus and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, maybe this is not as obvious to you as it is to myself who can game and look for all the rules to keep and, and follow this out. But follow with me if you're not as dark-hearted as I am in this. But these people are coming to Jesus and saying, hey, the rule says this. Why are you not following the rule? That's what's happening right here. And Jesus' answer is really interesting because he goes straight to three pictures. He goes into these three pictures. He talks about a bridegroom. And he's like, hey, when the bridegroom shows up, is there not a party? How is everyone, like, who fasts when the bridegroom shows up? He goes on to clothes and he talks about clothes. Like, like how do you put like new cloth on, on old clothes? Man, you need new clothes without new cloth. It, it is a different thing. Something new has come and it's different. And he talks about wineskins and pouring like new wine into old wineskins. And he's like, there's something different here and it doesn't work like that. Like, so give what's happening. He gives these three pictures and he's like, everything has changed. Everything has changed. There's something new and there's something old and, and things are different when the new has come. 
They're asking him about keeping rules and Jesus is telling him that there is something different that is happening. They're trying to figure out like who's wrong and who's right and Jesus is saying everything has changed. Like we're not even playing cards anymore. This king has come. The hurricane is human. The fire is is wearing skin right now. Life has become life and is walking this earth. Like everything has changed. And it's right here in this moment. And just catch the scene. People, these people are out here. There are people following after Jesus just to try to keep score. And we see that right here in the second story. The second story that comes up is set in a field. And they're in this field, a grain field, and it's on the Sabbath. And then the questions come up. So pay attention to what's happening as there are people following after Jesus, just trying to keep score. Verse 24, it says, And the Pharisees, here's that group again, the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, like, I love how it starts right there. Like, look, Jesus, what? Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Again, man, if we were playing cards, if you came to our house and you played spades with my family, I assure you we have a rule for every contingency, every single contingency. If you played dominoes with us, we would have like, no, you can't do this. If you play a dice game and you throw your dice out of order, it's like, man, we've got to figure out how to do this because that would give someone an unfair advantage. And it's like, oh, I'm just, you're just like having order to all this. No, I have a dark heart that has to win. No. And what's happening here is that, that there's something happening with Jesus and these people are like, whoa, let's get the rules. Let's figure out the rules to how this is happening and let's just make sure about this. And then notice in this second story, they come to Jesus and they're like, look, guy, you're cheating. You're cheating. These people are, are, are keeping the Sabbath and your people are not. What gives? And Jesus gives like this unbelievable example. He points back to King David. And he points back to an account where King David was doing the same thing and, and which for us might go right over our heads and say like, what, King David, okay, I've heard that name. But for these people, that's like, you're just saying that you have the authority of King David. And Jesus takes it one step forward and he's like, it's not just King David, it's him, himself. He points to all of this. You see, what we, what we have going on in these accounts and what we have going on right here is that keeping the Sabbath and keeping the fast had become about showing God how good they were instead of, a, of trusting God for how good he is. You see, that, that's really subtle. That's also really important for us because it's really easy to do things, to do spiritual things, to do things that seem right and good, to do those to show God and others how good we are instead of doing things to trust God for how good he is. That's a massive difference. Everything changes in that. And notice Jesus' answer here to these people. Why are you doing that, Jesus? Why do you get to do that? That's not the rules. You're not following the rules. You're cheating. And Jesus gives them this answer in verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, 
Catch this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Mic drop. The Son of Man. Not just any man, not just any human being. That Jesus... That Jesus is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's saying he's king of the Sabbath. He's the reason for this Sabbath. And, and listen, that, the rule keeper in me, the one who is like, I want to go right up to the edge of the rules. I want to know the rules and then I want to bend them to my will so I win. The rule keeper in me is like, yeah, but look, Jesus. Look, Jesus. And I can feel the objections because I lived them this week thinking about this uh, of like, wait a second. We're, we're under the law. We need to do certain things. This is even part of the Ten Commandments. We've got to do certain things. And, and so, Chad, we, we also live in freedom and so we can walk in different ways. I, you can feel these objections. But all of those, every time I was twisting with this particular passage this week, I kept coming back to how my own dark heart was trying to gamify God. And find a technicality in the rules with God. And you see, too often what we do is we just come to, do I believe or do I not believe? Do I believe in God or do I not believe in God? And oftentimes what I'd find is that I would say, yes, I believe in God. Yes. Okay, so I would do that. But the, the problem is that it's not just A or B, but you believe or not believe. There's actually a, a really sneaky, a deceptive, and subtle thing that happens in us, and that's called self-righteousness. It's to say that I do believe in God and I'm going to do everything in my power to earn that with God and show you how good I am. And, and that's what this passage is putting its finger on. When we try to gamify everything, when we try to become massively successful by gamifying life and faith, when we try to do that to God, what we're really doing is what the Bible calls self-righteousness. We try to show God how good we are and earn everything with it. The self-righteous I'm raising my hand as that. You do not have to raise your hand, but I am. The self-righteous see the purpose of obeying the law as proving that you're all right with God is something of a scoreboard to point to. And what you're most concerned about are the details and how to angle those details to make you the winner or the best of all this. He, and guess what? Most people in the world believe that there's a God. Most people in the world would actually say, I do believe there's a God. But they would relate to God by just trying to be good enough. Which is self-righteousness. And most religions in the world, most religions in the world uh, are based on the principle that 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 we, we have to kind of clean up our act and get ourselves together and do these certain things to earn our standing with God. 
the, the how far, how far is too far? How far is too far with alcohol? How much can I drink without getting in trouble? And, and how far is that line? How far can we go with sex or with messing around? How far can I look at certain websites? How far can I do this or that? How far can I go and still be in the okay camp? Friends, if that's you, that's self-righteousness. And I confess to you that that is me far too often. When we lead with the question of, well, should, how far should I go? How far do I have to go? Should I keep the Sabbath? Should I fast today? When we're starting with should and not, God, thank you, we're most likely walking with a self-righteous attitude and heart. We lead with that should, but the gospel of Jesus is not only different, but it's diametrically opposed. It is the exact opposite to, to a self-righteous attitude, which thinks I've, I've got to find my boots, I've got to find the strap, and then I've got to pull them up, and, and I've got to make sure I'm all polished up and everybody can see all my winning stuff and get my scoreboard as high as possible. All of that happens. The gospel is actually completely opposed to that. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that you, through the finished work of Jesus, are fully accepted in him. And because of your acceptance, you can live differently. You can walk differently. You can approach him differently. The gospel actually tells a really different story. It's not the trying to, to make sure you keep all of these things checked on your list today. That's exhausting. It's exhausting and it actually leads nowhere. The gospel says you're accepted because of what Jesus has done. And now live out of that acceptance. I want you to see what, what Jesus has said is enormous. And I don't want to get past it without really highlighting that for just a second. Uh, it, it's enormous. Jesus says the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying that he is the Sabbath. And he's where your rest is to be found. He's where everything is found in its fullness. It's in him. That's what he's telling these people. And he, he says, you've missed the point. You've missed the point on, on what the Sabbath is about. It is about being with the king. You've missed the point if you think that the, the wedding is just about getting a feast. No, you've missed the point. The bridegroom has come. The king has come. And it's right there where life and wholeness and fullness and flourishing are found is with this one. So now let's look at this third story and kind of lay in the plane right here, dial it in so we can kind of see what's going on and how all this pulls together. Starting in chapter three, verse one, it says, again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, they, they watched Jesus. 
to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. You see, if you didn't catch it by the first statement, the second clause actually gets it, so that they might accuse him. See, like, God, you're doing this. Jesus, you're doing that. That's not fair. And if we, we follow that logic, we're like, that's not fair. You're cheating, right? That's how the game's played. If you're like, if you see someone who's not being fair, you say, well, you're not cheating. And then what you say is like, God, like, I don't even want to play with you anymore. (laughs) They were watching him not to follow him. They were watching him not to understand what he was saying. They were watching him certainly not to worship him. They were watching him, it says, to accuse him. And why? Why were they doing that? Because they were there to keep the rules. They were there to keep the scoreboard and not to trust in God. It's really interesting. And I want, before we move on from this, here is the real warning that I had to give my own heart this week. It's easy to make a villain of these people. It's really easy to villainize these people. And we know if you've been around church, you've heard the term Pharisee maybe, and you're like, oh, I know, clued in. The Pharisees are the bad guys. Okay, I know where to go right here. And then we hear something like this. They're listening to accuse him, and they're not listening to hear what's actually going on. They're listening to accuse him. It's actually super easy to make villains when you and I do the exact same things. When cancer hits your family. You're like, God, that's not fair. I did, I did my part in this game. When hardship hits your family, when different things go in your life and you're like, I, I kept the rules. I kept the rules. God, that is not fair. Or we get to the point where we're like, God, I kept the rules. You cheated. And we start watching God's stuff to accuse him instead of following him. God, I kept the rules. You hear this a lot. Maybe your family hasn't been struck by cancer. Maybe you haven't experienced some of those things. Uh, I remember talking to parents who, as their kids grew, uh, they walked away from the faith. And I remember a family telling me, they said, man, I prayed every day this proverb about train up your child in the way they should go. And my, my kids still walked away. Do you hear it? We're not beating up this family. They're feeling real pain. We're talking about is something that all of us feel in different ways. It's like, like, I kept the rules. I did my part and God didn't do his. Friends, I, I want to say this with all love and grace as a father. <laughs> Even in your pain, that is a self-righteous approach to God. God's not cheating you. God's not changing the rules on your life. I don't know what you're carrying this morning. I don't know what's happening in your life this morning, but God's not trying to change and, and move the goalpost, so to speak, in your life. God's commands, his rules, his loves, his hindrance, and his restrictions are actually there for your good. 
because he loves you. I want you to see, I want you to see what God is doing and notice his reaction. They're watching, they're watching him and just saying like, what is going on? How does this work? They're watching him and here's what he says. Verse three, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. So he looks at this man and he says, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save, to save life or to kill? He asked them a question. He's like, what's, what's the right thing to do? What are the rules for this? Is it right to do a good thing to save or to kill? And, and the next line is great. But they were silent. They were silent. Yeah, friends, friends trying to keep all the rules. Tell me, tell me what is the rule here for this? And he looks at them and they were silent and he calls this person up and, and, and here's where it goes in verse five. And he looked around at, at these people who were there simply to kind of accuse, to watch and, and to, to call balls and strikes, to keep the scoreboard. And he looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. A couple things. There's grief in the story. There's really, there's such sadness that there are people there right, right with Jesus and all they're trying to do is keep the balls and strikes. So sad. But there's also grace. There's Grace. You see, there's nothing said about this guy and who he is with the withered hand. There's, the only thing that we get about this guy with the withered hand is his condition of his hand. We don't know if he was one of them who was just there watching. We don't know if he was one of the Pharisees. We don't know if he was someone else. We don't know where he was in this. Uh, we don't know any of it. But Jesus saw him, he called him, and he healed him. And I believe with all my heart that this is what God wants to do in your life today. And I don't know what you're carrying in. I don't know what it is that is going on in your life. But I do believe that God wants to heal many of us. Many of us who are self-righteous. Many of us who are living in that in-between. Many of us who just are going through the motions of Jesus and tr with Jesus and trying to just have a good enough scoreboard at the end. And I think God wants to actually meet you and heal the withered parts of your heart. Maybe for the first time or maybe... Maybe you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you do actually believe God, but you're in this trap of just trying to perform for him and not recognizing that he has done everything for you. And what I want you to notice is the response because that's, that's important. There's always a response, right? There, there's always a response, even if the response is silent. That's a response. You and I will respond. There's no way around it. There is a response to Jesus and it always happens. Verse six says this. The Pharisees went out and immediately, immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. There's one guy in this room who leaves healed. And then there are other people, people 
who want to be right with God. Who are, who are sick of the rules being different. And they leave trying to think through how to destroy him. Those responses are completely, completely different. Real quickly, I just want to say this about, like, who are these people? Real quickly, you have uh, the Herodians who are here who have this really awful nickname. It's not just a strange thing, but the Herodians comes out of King Herod, this wicked, awful king who is set up by the Romans to rule and just to kind of keep the peace. And he was just as corrupt as they come. Uh, he, he actually had, did something kind of similar to me. I hate to compare myself to an awful king, but I set up a game called uh, Dad is the Best. And King Herod demanded that he would be called King Herod the Great, right? I guess when you're king, you keep your own scoreboard in massive levels that go through history. And the Herodians basically were this progressive group of people who were, were given this awful nickname about King Herod. And then they were held out in this place and they were like, well, we're kind of do this and we'll, we'll, we'll figure out our own truth as it goes. And they would adopt some things and not other things. And they were just kind of saying like, whatever your truth is, is okay with us. You do you. And then there was this second group, the Pharisees who were here, and the Pharisees were the truth brigade, and they were the ones who were like, we're going to be the people uh, of all the right things. So you could think of them as the traditional values people. They were the ones who were like, these are the rules, we know the rules, and we've even added to the rules to make sure that we're all okay, and everything's going to be right, and, and we're going to show ourselves to be good, law-abiding, faithful people, because we keep all the rules, and then some hopefully. And these people did not like each other in one bit, except for Jesus is here. He changes everything and we can't have that. We can't have that. The Bible says that both of these are actually hostile to the gospel. They're, they're actually opposed to the message of Jesus. And both of those approaches, whether it's the choose your own adventure of morality or the trying to be the traditional values person who is just keeping all the rules, both of those lead to self-righteousness and there's no way around it. And yet there's probably an unnamed group in this that are, is a third group of people, which are those in-between people that we talked about in the beginning. Those that are like, I'm just trying to make it through my day, man. I don't know up from down. I'm just trying to make it through my day. And those people, God, those people are there saying, God, what do you have for me? What do you have for us? And most of us are, are simply trying to kind of work out being okay with God. And yet we do it in ways that, that actually lead us to self-righteousness. Friends, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to always try to manage the scoreboard. It's exhausting to try to always keep up. It's never over and it is never effective. unless we rest in the gospel, the finished work of Jesus, uh, that, that good news that has already happened on our behalf, we'll never know rest. We'll never know the, the sweetness, the life-changing effects of faith in Jesus.
It's through the cross where Jesus is saying to you, whether you're a believer or even a non-believer, his invitation is to you to find rest in him. It's through the cross that the self-righteous and the, and the in-between find hope. It's through the cross that says, it's all already been done for you. It's, that, it's the cross that says, hey, that thing that makes you weary, that thing that makes you feel like you're never enough, that thing has been satisfied. That sin, that struggle, that addiction, that addiction to a substance or that addiction to approval, has been satisfied in Jesus and what he's done on the cross. It's finished. You can rest at and because of the cross. And I just ask you, like, what would it look like? What would it look like for you to actually believe that? To believe that in this moment, but to believe that this evening and tomorrow. What would change if you believe that? that you believe that you didn't have to polish up and put on a, a face to sit up straight and to, to project some image? What would it look like in your life for you to actually believe that this is true? Is God inviting you to yield and to trust him this morning and to rest in him this morning, to lay down Self-righteousness and to, to move from just kind of an in-between life to follow after him this morning. And what would that look like in different ways? And if so, what would be the next step for you? For some, it might be believing in Jesus. It might be actually believing and stopping and say, I, I've tried to do this all on my own. But for many of us, it might be actually saying, God, I have a problem. I'm just trying to keep the rules. I'm just trying to go through the motions. I'm just trying to do all the things I should and not recognizing all the things that have been done. 